Hello everyone, welcome once again to Reason for Hope. We're glad you're joining us today. Reason for Hope, in case you're curious or haven't been with us before, or you've forgotten since yesterday, is an hour-long live <laughs> Slipped broadcast. Slipped my mind! <laughs> yeah, what do you do again? <laughs> yeah. It's an hour-long live broadcast, and it's guided along, for the most part, by your questions on the Bible. You can send your Bible questions in. We have guests here who love the Word, love the Lord, love to uh, receive your questions and help you navigate those. So. It could be what is what is the Bible all about? Uh, you know, something a verse you've come across that's kind of confusing to you, like it explained. You're going through a circumstance and situation. What does the Bible say about that? Can you squeeze evolution into creation? Did God really create everything? What does the Trinity? How do you explain that? Any question really along those lines that uh, we all get hung up on? Um, anything on your heart, as long as it's an honest and sincere question, and as long as you know we're going to use the Bible to answer your question. That's what we're all about here at A Reason for Hope. We truly want to give you the reason for our hope that we have in this world. My name's Dave Robson. I'll be fielding the questions in a moment. I'll go over all those platforms just so you know the various ways that you can join us and send your question in. But with us today, Pastor Scott Richards. He's the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, where we're broadcasting from. Guilty as charged. That's you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Did I'm, you have I'm, any... I'm, I'm, I'm adjusting to... Uh, course corrections on which cameras to stare yes, at. Yes, that's right. I'm working on staring right yeah. at you. Don't have to stare, but at a glance at that. That's right. See, isn't that more engaging when he looks right at you like that? <laughs> Those steel blue eyes. But Did you yeah. have a good night? Did you have any animals jump on your face during the night? No, it was a relatively laceration-free evening. That's good. <laughs> which is, that's kind of where I set the bar. If, yeah. if that happens, then the rest is gravy. Yeah. I, I, I do have some standards. They're not high. Sounds like pr prison life or something, a yeah. laceration-free yeah. evening. Well, good. Well, thank you for yes. being with yes, us. Yes, no wild, uh, for those not uh, uh, up-to-date from yesterday. Yeah. Don't tell them. I've got this thing on my mouth because my cat jumped on my face at four in the morning and claws out. Yeah. Were you asleep when it happened? Yes. You woke up yes. to a cat on your face? And uh, <laughs> I, I have verification of this from my lovely and talented wife, Pam. I did not swear. Wow. <laughs> I, I did not scream. I did not throw the cat off the bed and off wow. the uh, adjacent wall. That's integrity. So, That's integrity, folks. Yeah. The age of miracles has not That's ceased. That's right. Wow. You remember that, you cessationist. <laughs> Well, well, thank you for being here, laceration-free. Pastor Sean Richards also with us. How are you doing today? <laughs> mushroom-free. Mushroom, mushroom-free. Okay. All right. <laughs> that's good. Speaking of references to offhand conversations. <laughs> yes. That's right. Okay. Yeah, not that we, we don't take mushrooms. See, you, you got to be here I know, before I've we go on <laughs> the air to hang with all the insider stuff. Just want to make sure all listening audiences know that I am not at this moment, nor have I prior to this moment have been on mushrooms or any other hallucinogenic. Yes, very good. In case you're wondering that. It's way too late in the week and the day for these kind of conversations. So we're gonna move on. Oh, and also, I am not entering into the transfer portal. <laughs> there you go. Just, just so people- Can you tell they're related, father, son? Can yeah. you tell? Can you tell by the conversation? <laughs> anyway, moving on. I'm gonna move it on as the host. I have the power. We're gonna move on. <laughs> Anywho. Anywho. <laughs> Reason for Hope is a live broadcast, as I mentioned. We are with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Here in Tucson, Arizona, uh, we are, it's an outreach and a ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. So if you keep that in mind when you're trying to find us, that will help you out, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. 
You can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com and get more information. If you're in the Tucson area looking for somewhere to worship the Lord, you're more than welcome to um, come along and check us out here. We're a Calvary Chapel affiliated church. We teach the, the Bible uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. It's kind of a Calvary Chapel thing. Of course, we worship and, um, and fellowship and all kinds of events. We have support groups and Bible studies, all kinds of things going on. So come and uh, join us if you're in the Tucson area. But calvarychristianfellowship.com, uh, you can go there if you would like to watch the live broadcast. Go to the Watch Live tab. That will take you to our live page. You can get directly there if you type in ccftucson.online.church. And you'll see, uh, when we're offline, you'll see a countdown to our next event. You'll see a schedule of upcoming events. But we are live right now, so you'll see the video. You can sign in with the username and send us your question through that method. I'll be right there with you in just a moment. Uh, we're on Facebook as well, facebook.com slash Tucson, or just look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson on Facebook. Uh, don't forget to like and share. We'd appreciate that. And send your question in on the uh, comment on the, the uh, comments uh, attached to the video the chat and I will be there with you as well. We have an app for your mobile device, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store. Download us and you can watch us on your cell phone or mobile device as you go around about your day or certainly for the next hour. We have a channel on Roku and Apple TV as well. So if you look for us in your channel store, you can watch us on your big screen. We're on YouTube as well. Look for a reason for hope on YouTube. Don't forget to like and subscribe and uh, ring the bell if you'd like to get a notification. It's a great resource as well for archives. Whenever we've been live, that live tab right there, it archives there so you can catch up on a show you missed. Maybe watch yesterday's and see what on earth we were talking about <laughs> at the beginning of the show. Um, we also post uh, questions of the week and other video content as well. We have our services there as well. All these platforms, we stream our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship to the same platform. So you can uh, join us there that method as well. Pastor Scott here is on Twitter or X as it's so called now. Scott R4H, that's Scott letter R number four letter H where he posts his commentary and things going on I'm sure a lot um, right now about Israel and the Middle East and the conflict going on there and as it pertains to biblical prophecy and end times and that kind of thing. So follow along with Pastor Scott, Scott R4H on X formerly known as Twitter. We're on the Rumble platform, not live, but we post videos there as well for you to check out if you use Rumble, a Reason for Hope Bible Q&A. And our email address, questionsforhope, spelled out at gmail.com. That's questionsforhope at gmail.com. You're welcome to send your question there too, especially if you're listening to us on the radio as you are listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded. Uh, so keep that email address in mind, questionsforhope at gmail.com. Send us your question there. We'll get to that on our next show. We are very glad you are joining us and part of the broadcast today. Once again, please do send in your questions. I'll be jumping on all those platforms in just a moment to see your questions coming in and we'll get those lined up for later in our show today. Well, with all that being said, would you like to pray for us today, Pastor Scott? I certainly would. Could I twist your arm? Don't need <laughs> no, to. I actually like talking to God, <laughs> all so right. let's do it. Father, thank you so much that we can welcome your presence here and that uh, through your Holy Spirit, you're not only present with us here in the studio, but uh, with each and every person that's tuning in. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would minister your word in very special and specific and personal ways to those who are being a part of this ministry, that they would come away from this time with a deeper relationship with you, a, a greater appreciation of your love, and, and how you demonstrated it beyond a shadow of doubt in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, I pray that uh, those who might 
find that a strange statement, uh, would explore uh, the evidence for the resurrection of your son that, that uh, renders everything that we say on this broadcast valid and important and binding on all people. Uh, and so, Lord, we pray we'd stick to your word. We pray, Father, that uh, we would not offer our takes, uh, human wisdom, but instead uh, allow your truth, your whole truth, and nothing but your truth to be uh, what we focus on today. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Mm-hmm. Amen. 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 Thanks for that. Well, I appreciate you giving us updates on what's going on uh, in Israel. Uh, do you have anything to update us on? Uh, yeah, uh, a couple of things. I'll try to limit it so that we can get to as many questions as we possibly can. Uh, the two biggest developments that have happened today uh, on the PJ Media side, an article by Stephen Green, uh, details the fact that the U.S. and Iraq are, in the coming days, beginning discussions about the future of American and coalition troops, according to Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin on Thursday. Apparently, Lloyd Austin is out of the hospital and recovered from his surgery and back mm-hmm. on the job, which is problematic in and of itself, but uh, we digress. Uh, and an, an anonymous U.S. official told CNN uh, that the timing of these talks is not related to recent attacks on U.S. forces by neighboring Iran, although it's difficult to, uh, not to see a connection between Iraq's uh, deteriorating security situation and America's willingness to stick around and get Iranian missiles lobbed at our troops. Uh, as you recall, uh, there have been um, uh, some uh, severely wounded uh, American soldiers uh, that have uh, fallen victim to uh, these Iranian stocked and equipped militias firing at U.S. positions. Uh, the uh, the nature of their injuries includes uh, a uh, kind of an ominous description of uh, severe head trauma. Uh, I don't know what that means for sure. But uh, I'm not sure that we are getting the full story on exactly how much damage was done in those situations, particularly if our administration is uh, pretty much uh, dedicated to the idea of pulling out of any positions in Syria and in that part of the world. Uh, As you recall, uh, there are about 2,500 U.S. troops uh, stationed in that very problematic area, Syria and Iraq, Uh, most of them there uh, under the auspices of the uh, operation that uh, took out ISIS. Uh, And uh, they are there as well to uh, guard uh, U.S.-related oil uh, emplacements and and so on. But uh, again, it does seem that the United States is being pressured uh, to get out of that region, and we don't seemingly stand up to pressure very well. Uh, Iraq's Prime Minister Mohammed Shia al-Sudani Uh, earlier this month, said that uh, the talks were to end the presence of international coalition forces in Iraq permanently. Uh, The translation, it's time to boogie as they were. Uh, Well, what would happen if there are no more U.S. troops on the ground in this particular region? Well, as uh, we all know, nature abhors a vacuum. And into that vacuum that is no longer guarded by U.S. soldiers, one of two entities would take the place. Uh, Either ISIS would uh, use the opportunity to be able to uh, retrench themselves in the previous place uh, where they were routed uh, by our troops beforehand. Uh, If you recall, we talked a bit uh, about how uh, the attack on uh, the Qasim Soleimani memorial uh, in the city of Kerman 
in Iran was conducted by an ISIS uh, group that was operating out of uh, nearby Afghanistan. Uh, remember something, ISIS is deeply committed to retrenching themselves in this area of Syria because they believe that a particular city in Syria is going to be the place where their 12th imam, their Muslim messiah, is going to come and lead uh, ISIS to victory. So if the United States bugs out of this area, uh, count on ISIS making an attempt to bug back in. Uh, That's probably the least of our worries in that uh, the other thing that this would allow uh, happen is unfettered access through a very pro-Iranian Iraqi corridor into Syria by uh, the Iranian Republican Guard Corps. would make their job an awful lot easier as far as getting weapons and uh, restocking uh, the the, uh, abilities of, say, Hezbollah and Lebanon to carry out an extended campaign against Israel. So if you're keeping score at home, uh, the the bottom line of this uh, withdrawal of U.S. troops in this particular region is going to be a win for ISIS. It is going to be a win for Iraq, and it is going to be a very significant loss for Israel in that it is going to make uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon just that much more of a formidable foe. Uh, you know, the, the bottom line, though, is, you know, people say, well, did we really make much of a difference in that region and this two-decade-old mess that we entered into? Uh, Iraq is going to lose any vestige it has of being an independent country uh, without U.S. protection, uh, but uh, is uh, pretty much a wholly-owned subsidiary of Iran uh, in the first place. Uh, the very interesting thing uh, it, that may come out of this in a positive sense, according to some analysis, is that this might push Saudi Arabia closer to normalizing relations with Israel uh, because uh, they see uh, the threat of Iran becoming more and more significant in that region. So we definitely want uh, to keep an eye on this. The other uh, update uh, that I wanted to give to you is, uh, uh, you know, politics has been called war fought by other means. Uh, The political battle uh, going on, not to mention the fact that uh, 60 percent of uh, Hamas's uh, uh, terrorists have been knocked out in Gaza. Uh, The uh, battle for Khan Yunus, which is uh, pretty much the the, uh, epicenter of Hamas's command and control in the Gaza Strip is proceeding apace. Uh, It seems like what Hamas is interested in is dragging things out as long as they can because as Israel uh, takes more and more time to be able to complete its objectives, which include wiping out Hamas entirely, uh, making sure that the hostages are released if at all possible, and uh, setting up a situation where uh, future October 7th just won't be able to happen out of that particular area. The longer this takes, uh, the more the uh, uh, individuals in Iran and uh, their sympathizers in media and in the EU and so forth will be able uh, to uh, marshal world opinion against Israel. And so the leaders 
of Hamas really believe that their number one goal is to try to stay alive as long as possible and allow that pressure cooker of opposition from uh, world powers to build until Israel has no other choice than to bow to their terms of surrender and allow them uh, to continue to maintain their presence in Gaza in some way, shape, or form. So uh, the, the idea behind all of this is that uh, the, the politics that are going on are, are proceeding apace. However, a uh, very interesting uh, day at the United Nations. Uh, the United Nations uh, was addressed by Israel's ambassador to the UN, and uh, he made a very interesting point. Uh, according to uh, Israel's Erdogan, uh, the ambassador of the UN, you can have a ceasefire or a solution to the conflict in Gaza, but you can't have both. So how did he uh, go ahead and express this? He said uh, the UN has been exposed for the amount of assistance it supplies to jihad-loving Gazans, with Hamas even using UN supplies and buildings to shield its violent terrorist activities. Palestinian children also learn to hate Jews and admire terrorists at UN-sponsored schools. Thus, it is not really surprising that the UN would be pushing the claim that an immediate and permanent ceasefire in Gaza would tend toward peace, when the reality is that such a ceasefire would just help uh, Hamas recuperate, as Israeli Ambassador Gilad Erdan argued. Uh, he said this, and I quote, I made it clear to the UN Security Council that it's impossible to both call for a ceasefire and pretend to support a solution to the conflict. That is an oxymoron. You cannot have both. It is impossible. A ceasefire will keep Hamas in power and allow it to attack Israel again and again. Israel knows this from long experience. Erdogan continued, many here on the Security Council are advocating for a permanent ceasefire while giving no thought to the implications. What do you think will happen if there is a ceasefire? I'll tell you what will happen. Hamas will remain in power. They will regroup and rearm, and soon Israelis will fight, face another attempted holocaust. He challenged, is this the outcome you seek for all of us, that once again Israel will be forced to carry out another defensive operation in Gaza? Do you really expect us to leave our hostages in Hamas terror tunnels? As long as Hamas remains in power in Gaza, a very dark future is inevitable for all of us. So, uh, interestingly, he went on and he said this on his uh, Twitter feed. I presented proof that Iran supplies missiles to the Houthis and made it clear that if the war in Gaza expands, Iran bears the responsibility. The Ayatollah regime is responsible for mass murder and terrorism everywhere, including in Iran. So, uh, you know, once again, we see that uh, there is a, a line in the sand being drawn between Israel and uh, the attempts even of our own President Joe Biden uh, to push for a two-state solution. Well, we've seen what a two-state solution is in terms of a test run. That's what Gaza was intended to be. That's why Israel fully withdrew from Gaza in 2005 and allowed the Gazans to have self-determination. Well, what did that create? It created Hamas. It created October 7th. It created from 2006 onward a continual rain of missiles uh, launched at Israel from that particular side. Our own president, uh, Joe Biden, interestingly, uh, told CNN that uh, he and Prime Minister uh, Benjamin Netanyahu had agreed in principle to the idea of a two-state solution. Uh, that uh, struck uh, Benjamin Netanyahu as news. Mm -hmm. He said he never agreed to such a thing and that the idea of a two-state solution in Gaza 
without Israel being in complete control of the Gaza Strip as the end game in all of this is a non-starter. Uh, it's been a conversation he had with Corn Pop. Yeah, it's, uh, Israel has lost too much blood and treasure in all of this yeah. to uh, even see this sort of things. I'm really not sure uh, what our president was thinking, maybe wishful thinking, maybe trying to pressure Netanyahu in the press. Uh, but Netanyahu is nothing if not a political animal. And as a political animal, I think he realizes that if uh, the end game of all that has gone on in Gaza is Hamas continuing to exist in some way, shape, or form in that part of the world, uh, he will be shown the door from Israeli politics uh, into uh, the next millennium, or if not beyond. And uh, again, Netanyahu is no one's fool. He realizes he's accountable to the Israeli people as a result of all of this. And so I think you will see Israel digging in its heels and essentially saying uh, no to a two-state solution. Uh, the Palestinians have shown uh, that they are absolutely incapable of all this. By the way, another poll was taken in the West Bank, that is supposedly the moderate Palestinians. Mm. Uh, when they asked them how many of them considered October 7th an illegitimate act of terrorism in the poll, I'm, I'm not sure that this is metaphysically possible, but the answer was, according to the poll, zero. None of them felt wow. that October 7th was illegitimate. Wow. All of them believed that Israel had it coming to them. Wow. And those are the moderates. The, the difference between the moderates and the extremists, the extremists want to uh, behead you and rape your women and destroy you now, uh, the moderates, the mo moderates are willing to take their time before they get around yeah, to doing it, man. because it, in essence, it's a religious conflict. Mm -hmm. They are following the example of who they consider to be the perfect man, and that is John Muhammad Ibn Abdullah. Yep. Mm -hmm. So, if you really believe what's in that book, and you really believe that perfect. this isn't just a historical document, but a how-to as far as spirituality is concerned, these this kind of behavior is not just unsurprising it should be expected yeah right that's unfortunately how it works yeah yeah man but we'll be happy to take any questions you have about that maybe that uh has raised your eyebrow a bit uh maybe that's contrary to everything you've heard about the so-called religion of peace from both sides of the aisle we'll be happy to answer any questions you have about that as well on yeah. the program great absolutely yeah send those in on the various platforms wherever you're joining us uh, yeah, do send your question questions on that or any Bible question that you have. Please send them in. We've got plenty of time left here on our show today. We'd love to get to your question, and thank you for joining us. And thanks for that, Pastor Scott, for that update. I have a question from Tommy. I was hoping you could provide me with some insight into this question. When I was reading Exodus, I couldn't help wonder as to why God was so specific with the directions as to how the tabernacle was to be built. Everything from the floor plans, the sacrifice altar, types of animals to sacrifice, to the incense, burnt offerings, the incredibly detailed clothing with the tribe's names etched on stones, putting blood from the sacrifice on your big toe and the tip of your ear, etc., etc. After I read this, my first thought was Genesis 1-1 and how specific God uh, obviously was to create the heavens and earth, seeing the razor's edge life is balanced on, which in that case, the tabernacle is not so specific anymore. Any insight you have? So this is appreciated, and thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you, Tommy, for your question. The tabernacle, why was it so specific? 
Well, I guess this question is, why is it unspecific compared to the fine-tuning of the universe? Um, When we're talking about God introducing something new, that's the standard. There wasn't a material universe before God said, let there be light. If, on the other hand, we look at the tabernacle, according to both the Old and New Testament, this was based on something that was already prior in existence. This is Hebrews 8 and verse, let's start in verse 3. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. So speaking to the high priest having to deal with his own sins as well. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, who serve pay attention to this, gifts according to the law, the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, and he quotes Exodus 20, or excuse me, um, Exodus 19, where he says, see that you make all according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. And then he goes on to say, the author of Hebrews, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. This is speaking of Jesus. So when we're given this overview from the author of Hebrews about this interesting parallel, there's a heavenly reality to the earthly tabernacle and temple. That was based on something that is presently in existence in heaven, and we know the presence of God specifically. And we see examples of that in the book of Revelation, chapter 8, for instance, where it notes the altar that, of course, there was a model of in the earthly tabernacle, was filled with the prayers of the saints and then thrown to the earth, and the plagues then followed. We see the lampstands are also present in Revelation chapter 4 as a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We see that the throne room of God is a representation of the Holy of Holies, is an actual place that John could observe. Now, granted, this is a vision, but there are little truths that are being shown. With the Ark of the Covenant being seen there. Yeah, Yeah. the actual Ark, and I believe that was in Revelation 11. Yeah. Uh, A point being made is this. When we're talking about the model of heavenly things, we only determine that model is a good one or a bad one based on how close it is to something that it already is. And so the fine-tuning, if you will, is based on a prior example. When we look at the universe, it would be a faulty comparison. It'd be like comparing apples to pineapples because the purpose of the universe was suited to be itself. There isn't anything else we can compare that to, despite what Marvel would want you to think. But if, on the other hand, we look at the heavenly tabernacle, the earthly one was only sufficient in that it was based off of something that already was there. Now, does it fulfill those purposes? The author of Hebrews thinks so. He calls it a shadow of heavenly things, just like these were, in reference to the Old Testament, shadows of Christ. And we see that in Colossians and 1 Corinthians and other places. It doesn't mean that the Sabbath was a inadequate reference to the rest we have with God, but it was fulfilled, it was made all the more clear, given the finished work of Christ. So this earthly tabernacle, this earthly temple, and all of the details involved with it were meant to point to something specific, which is why he fussed about the details, because there is a reality here. But if we then ask, what's it significant now? Its fulfillment is in Christ, and we ask the question then, so when? Will we see that fulfilled? And the answer is, we are at this very moment. He lives to intercede for us in the same way the high priest would on Yom Kippur. But the only difference is, as we read in Romans 8, how often is the Spirit interceding for us? How often is the Son interceding for us? 
always. Yeah. So that's yeah. the difference. It's based on a prior model as opposed to the universe, which isn't based on a prior model. It's just that own thing. You're looking at the standard. It would be like saying, why is everything in heaven so specific? Because that was made that way. <laughs> it was made with an intent in mind. Yeah. And, and, and just one other thing I would add about the specificity of these instructions uh, regarding uh, the tabernacle and the worship and, and so on. You know, again, they're a shadow of the things to come. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 17 says the substance is of Christ. Now, to use that analogy again, uh, if I see a shadow, right, I can tell an outward form, I can tell some things about uh, what I'm looking at, but it doesn't hold a candle to actually looking at that thing which light is hitting upon and creating that shadow, if you will. Uh, you know, I, I heard the analogy given uh, that uh, sometimes being so caught up in the shadow uh, uh, is almost like a uh, husband and uh, wife to be going to the altar, uh, sharing their vows uh, with one another. And then when the pastor says, you may kiss the bride because there's spotlights up above, the bridegroom kneels down and kisses the shadow of the bride and not the bride herself. Uh, you know, that's, that's the difference that is being mentioned here. In other words, we as believers in Jesus have the right more than anyone else to say the best is yet to come. Uh, and, uh, and the other thing that I would say about this shadow versus substance principle that we see in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 17 and is portrayed in the tabernacle, in the acts of worship, in the specificities involved here. You know, uh, we just finished uh, last night our study in the book of Ezekiel, and in Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48, you get an incredibly specific description of a temple that is going to exist on earth during the thousand-year reign of Christ. Well, how specific, uh, again, described is the wall of the outer complex, the eastern outer courtway, the outer court, the chambers of the outer court, the pavement is described, the northern outer, uh, outer gateway, gateway, the northern inner gateway, the southern inner gateway, and the southern uh, outer gateway, the inner court, the eastern inner gateway, the temples for killing, the tables for killing sacrifices, chambers for singers and priests, the altar, the vestibule of the temple, the sanctuary or the holy place, the most holy place, the side chambers, the elevation around the temple, separating the, the separating courtyard, the building at the west end, the priest chambers, the wall of the inner court, the priest cooking places, for goodness sake, and kitchens. They're all described in, in Dave, you'll bear me witness on this, in minute measurement, mm. in detail. This is exactly how these are specifically going to be. Why? Well, once again, I think we see in the Word of God, in Ezekiel and in Exodus, that the emphasis on specificity is to point us to the fact that we're not dealing with ethereal, untangible, sort of symbolic, uh, kind of Plato-in-his-cave ideas about God, mm. that our hope of heaven is very, very real. Mm. It, it is very, very specific. Just as those who would say that the temple in Ezekiel is just a symbol, I guess. It's uh, something that is, boy, as soon as you go down that pathway, uh, you've got to start asking yourselves these questions. Okay, if it's just a symbol, why do we have eight chapters of Scripture devoted to uh, specs, if you will? Yeah. Um, 
very, very specific. There is no way of getting around the fact that this is going to be a very real and tangible structure. Mm. In the same way, when we take a look at Exodus and we see all the specificities involved, and, and you know, again, Sean, you've pointed out that uh, in Hebrews, we're told that you were to make it exactly according to the image that you were shown of the heavenly reality. Mm. What it's saying is heaven isn't just some kind of concept. Heaven mm. isn't some, gee, I hope so, it'd be nice if it did, kind of a, uh, uh, a way to help people who, who fear death sleep better at night. Mm. It's very, very specific. Uh, John chapter 14, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Yeah. They're really specific things. Mm. You know, Jesus didn't say, well, you know, there's an afterlife out there. It'll be cool and groovy and beautiful. No, he goes into the specifics about why they can believe in all of this. Mm. And, and so, uh, you know, some people will look at the Bible and they'll say, wow, you know, what a thick book. You know, why does it have to be so thick? Um, well, considering the subject matter, it's not thick at all. No. Uh, what Should we, be a whole library. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in fact, uh, John, uh, the apostle, said that if everything Jesus said and did were written, the whole world couldn't hold the books. Right. So what we have in here is really important. It's yeah. really specific. And it's designed for us to understand that our faith isn't just in the idea of, gee, I hope so, or wouldn't it be great if. Yeah. Uh, God could not go out of his way to say more specifically, this is what a relationship with me is all about. It's based upon a reality that you cannot see in heaven. We're going to bring a little of heaven down to you to remind you where you're going yeah. and what it's all about. Yeah. Uh, and uh, again, the Ezekiel temple works the same way. Uh, the, the hope that the people of Israel had, especially the people Ezekiel were ministering to, they were heartbroken and devastated because the temple of Solomon had been destroyed. So God was going to say, yeah, you saw the temple of Solomon, you saw all of its specifics, but guess what? There's another temple coming whose specifics are going to put the temple of Solomon to shame. And that would mean an awful lot to people uh, trying to get over the grief of losing that temple in such yeah. a horrible way. Yeah. yeah. So great stuff real quick correction i said exodus 19 uh 2540 was what hebrews was quoting yeah thank you for that we right. endeavor to be specific that's right <laughs> that's right yeah. <laughs> certainly up based on that last question yeah. we do yeah yeah wonderful yeah not um i know in recovery circles it's you know finding the higher power whoever that is for you you know i've heard that from them whoever god is for you and but god is a he's a specific person um, he's not for us to just find our own kind of God. Yeah. There's you know? speculation and there's revelation. If yeah. I speculate, then it's very unspecific because it depends on what I'm able to grasp in a finite mind. If he reveals himself to me, then it's a question of what do I leave out yeah. because we're dealing with something bigger than I can handle. Right. That's right. And he has been revealed in yeah. this book that we spend so much time. Yeah. Discussing. Another little departure, uh, you know, just uh, again, to be fair in all of this. Uh, when uh, Alcoholics Anonymous got started, Bill W. and, and, and so on, uh, it, it came out of a Bible study called the St. James Club. Mm. Um, it was very biblically oriented. And so when they said, we worship God as we understand him, uh, what they were saying is, you know, God in terms of how we understand him according to the scriptures. Mm. 
later on because they wanted to reach out to more than just people with a you know Christian biblical background. Uh, they they kind of broadened that to saying, well, you know, just come in, you know, God as you understand Him, and we'll work with you from there. The most important thing is to realize that without a higher power. Uh, you're spinning your wheels, right. your addiction, Helpless, the practice yeah. of your dependency, too devastating to overcome. So, you know, again, um, unfortunately, because that's kind of taken root, it's kind of like, well, you know, whatever your higher power is, your dog, doorknob, the group, whatever, <laughs> uh, you know, as long as you've got a higher power there, then, yeah. then that's fine. That's kind of mutated into that in a lot of secular-oriented uh, AA groups. But, uh, you know, the, the ones that I think are, are really important and doing significant work beyond just helping someone get sober. I mean, if you follow the steps, you're going to get sober. That's all it really purports to do. Yeah. But where it transforms from just getting a handle on alcoholism, in a sense, and the practice of alcoholism and, and, and uh, again, destructive dependencies and so on, where it... it becomes really powerful is uh, in many AA groups, they will say, uh, not God as I understand him, but God as I understand him as he's been revealed in the scripture. Mm. So, you know, and that ties into deepening your understanding of God, yeah. which is one of the steps, and, uh, you know, working on becoming more and more dependent on him. So yeah. sometimes yeah, I think AA groups are sort of bagged on uh, for that uh, kind of vague generality. But uh, I'll tell you, a friend of mine, uh, a Jewish uh, uh, young lady that I knew in Southern California, uh, she would never darken the door of a church, but she went to an AA group. And by the time she'd finished working the steps, uh, she realized who the God they were talking about was and mm -hmm. became a born-again Christian. And so she would always say that AA groups are great mm -hmm. pre-evangelism. Mm. You know, they can really soften you up to receive the gospel, yeah. and really the framework, you take a look at it, sometimes people will say, well, A, you know, in the 12 steps, it's not biblical. And I go, well, okay, well, let's go through the 12 steps, and you tell me where this ceases to be biblical. Usually it's that God of your understanding deal there. Yeah. But if we can define that, the rest of it basically is a discipleship program. Yeah, yeah it's the whole confession, you know, it's been this far since I uh, fell this week. Guys, you need my support. That's based on James 5, 16 verbatim. Yeah. The idea of there being a community in which you can hold yourself accountable as a copy and paste system of the church and what that was meant to be in the body of believers. The system of understanding that I've reached rock bottom is understanding the necessity for repentance, yeah. <laughs> that Christian word, and on it goes. Yeah, and bringing forth fruit and keeping. Yeah. repentance you know again making amends to people you know and and, and so on being yeah. honest about these sort of things not just saying gee i'm sorry yeah. but uh, going to mend those fences and rebuild those relationships as we have the possibility of doing it you know? i don't know where the coins and necklaces yeah. fit into it yeah. but that's <laughs> yeah pretty 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 hardcore biblical stuff yeah yeah absolutely yeah well great yeah tommy thanks for your see what you did see the discussion you <laughs> course over here uh, <laughs> thank you Tommy <laughs> yeah thank you indeed thanks for your question hope that, that helps you out with the specificity how specific God is a uh, question from Dwayne uh, why do people call God a dictator is God a dictator I guess some people could say he's kind of dictates he's sovereign over things can he be called a dictator 
Well, yeah, let's just make sure we define our terms. The dictator, or the word dictator rather, is usually meant to mean a totalitarian tyrant, but it actually comes from ancient Rome. There were examples of it in certain ways before that, but the most famous example is Julius Caesar, who, ironically enough, if you remember the Dark Knight or the Shakespeare plays, the big controversy was he wasn't willing to give up his power. But what power was that? Well, Roman Roman uh, government was based on a Senate, and the Senate during times of war would elect an individual where they would essentially be a representative of all their members so they could make decisions more quickly as a time of war would necessitate. The reason why dictators become such a negative term is because someone who's put in this position of power rarely wants to give it up, and the first and most prominent dictator, not not the first necessarily, but the most uh, prominent one in history, never gave up that authority, and it ended up being a staging ground for the title of emperor in Rome. Again, there were emperors before Rome, but that's the point of emphasis there. When we're talking about God being a dictator, it's a lot like the problem of evil in that it's trying to use emotionally manipulative language in order to lead you to a negative cultural image of these sort of things. When people use and throw around the name Hitler, we associate it with an abuse of power, a murderous maniac, someone who wanted to conquer the world in the name of a delusion, and so forth. We think of someone who's going to abuse their power, and that's what they mean by dictator. Dictator. Mm-hmm. There would be no reason to use a Roman senatorial term to describe the God of the Bible. There would be grounds for us to call him king. There would be grounds to call him master. There would be grounds to call him other things. But when people are using these loaded terms, it's a lot like slavery in the Bible. What do you mean by that? Do you mean indentured servitude? Do you mean chattel slavery? Do you mean employment? Do you mean being a child (laughs) and having to do what your parents are telling you? The Bible specifies (laughs) two of those four. But here's the point, and I'm referring to children and indentured servitude. The idea is, are you talking talking to someone who's saying, you know, God's in charge. When he makes decisions, like you were saying, Dave, is he sovereign? Does he have authority to do things in creation? Absolutely. But the word dictator is meant to manipulate. There's no other way to put that. If you are talking to someone who would talk to God that way, the same way you deal with any conversation or confrontation is to ask questions rather than make statements. You don't say, God's not a dictator. And then they can define dictator to you, and you're suddenly put on the defensive and have to say, well, yeah, he does give orders. Well, yeah, he is the absolute authority. Well, yeah. And suddenly you're the bad guy because you're defending a dictatorship, (laughs) right? But if, on the other hand, you put them on the defensive and say... What do you mean by dictator? And then they start to dictate to you with the position of power that's been handed to them, wink, wink, all of the things that they don't like about God, then you can open your Bible and go, I don't see that here. Are you saying that someone with power will abuse it? That seems to be jumping the gun quite a bit, don't you think? We believe God's perfect by nature. He'd be the only thing that wouldn't abuse his power. But if you say, well, uh, Karl Marx said that all power is going to be abused, I "I don't care. (laughs) But you need to ask better questions about that because that's a loaded term. That's how I deal with that dictator term. Yeah, yeah. power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely, Mm. the famous uh, quote says. Uh, But that's speaking on the horizontal. That's not speaking of the heavenly. I guess the question is, you know, the term, uh, you know, dictator, the closest one we come to it, is a passage in the book of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, 
where God is referred to as a potentate. Uh, that mm. sounds like a highfalutin term. We don't really throw that around, but it uh, essentially means in the original language, one who has great, or in the case of God, all power. When we refer mm. to God as the almighty, that's what we're talking about here. You know, and so, you know, the, the important thing is, is this. Um, I wouldn't want to worship a God who wasn't almighty. Yeah. Um, you know, again, Rabbi Harold Kushner wrote a book called uh, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, mm-hmm. and he tried to explain that phenomena by saying that God, um, you know, he's good, uh, but he's not all-powerful. And uh, he'd like to do something about evil in this world, but he just can't. It's just too big of a mm. problem for him to solve. That doesn't help me one single bit. Yeah. Um, you know, for, you know, again, uh, when I went through uh, my cancer surgery, if my doctor had come in uh, and said, you know, gosh, I, you know, I'm a doctor. I've spent all of these years trying to, uh, you know, again, uh, perfect uh, ways to treat cancer, uh, but I, but I just can't do it. You know, I've I've spent all this time and I've I've had all this education, uh, and I'd really really like to do something about your cancer, but I can't. That doesn't do me any good at all. No. I'd find a new doctor, yeah. right? Uh, the, the big question I think we have to ask when someone brings out the idea of God being a dictator. Well, we see dictators as bad things because right. when people get that kind of power, they always abuse it. <laughs> Uh, the big question we got to ask ourselves is, what has God done with his power? Yep. Um, God created the heavens and the earth. Mm-hmm. He could have uncreated them in a New York minute if he had wanted to do so, but he did not. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Adam and Eve fell, he had already warned them that on the day that they ate of the uh, tree in the garden, uh, that dying they would die. And just wiped out and stopped the uh, human experiment right then and there. But what God did was he began an incredibly powerful program to solve the the most overwhelming problem in history. How can a holy God have a relationship with fallen, sinful human beings? By the way, uh, after October 7th, I'm not really seeing a lot of people posting a lot of things about the inherent goodness of man, Right. right? I mean, we are the species, for instance, that invented the cat of nine tails. Yeah, that's we came up with that. Right. That that's that's who we are in in our nature. Yep. Uh, and, and God, for His part, could have used His great power just to wipe us all out. Okay, tried. Uh, see you later. Mm-hmm. But what did God do? He began to create this way for, on the one side of the coin, His absolute perfection and holiness not to be compromised, but also for His love for fallen sinful people like us to be satisfied. How could those two things be bridged? By God becoming a man, walking among us in the person of Jesus Christ, living a perfect life that we can never live. That takes some significant power, I would say. Mm-hmm. Uh, taking that perfect life, willingly laying it down uh, in the most uh, barbaric and horrendous form of execution man has ever devised, uh, Roman crucifixion. Uh, three days later, rising from the dead in a moment of history because he bore the sins of the world. Yeah. So in that one act of Jesus Christ, we see the ultimate powerful act of God, the greatest distance in the universe, the greatest problem in the universe. Mm -hmm. How does a holy yet loving God reconcile fallen sinful human beings to himself? Mm -hmm. He solves it in himself. And so when people say, oh, well, isn't God a dictator? That's negative because dictators here on earth can, and I can't 
think of an exception. I'm not, can you, Sean, a, a dictator that didn't abuse his power? Um, not under that title. But, but, right. but God, having all power, used that power in harmony with his attributes of justice and love to save us. Yeah. So, you know, uh, someone calls God a dictator. I think uh, if you're saying he's like Fidel Castro or, or, you know, he's like the Ayatollah Khomeini or, yeah. or you know, Vladimir Putin or someone like that, well then, no, that's not how he is. Yeah. Uh, we need to ask ourselves, what did God do with his great power? He used it to save us. Right, yeah, no, he's good. You know, I don't mind being told what to do by someone that's good and knows better than me. I mean, I worked, I worked construction for a year with two guys who knew so much more about it. And every day I'd say, you tell me what to do. <laughs> you know, you dictate <laughs> because you know better. Yeah. God knows ultimately infinitely better than us. So yeah, if so, you yeah. allow for his existence, then you have to at least grant that. But then they try to pretend to say God is flawed and God is flawless. Yeah. Right. What were we talking about at that yeah, point? Pick yeah. one and we'll right. work with it. Right. Yes. <laughs> You're going to pretend my thing exists, then let my thing exist. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Well, uh, Dwayne, thank you for that question. Great question. Thank you for it. Uh, a question from Ted about um, uh, alternative medicine. Does the Bible give us any guidance for like acupuncture, chiropractors, other types of natural medicine? Some of these things can be, you know, some people's opinion, they're a little bit out there but is there a place for that yeah uh you know again it's almost like the question that comes up about can christians be involved with martial arts well mm -hmm. if you want to get some skills that can help you if someone attacks you on the street uh it's great uh will it get you in good shape yeah will it uh, stretch your muscles absolutely uh will it uh you know bring about self-discipline and uh, and all kinds of benefits sure but when someone gets involved with martial arts, you always have to ask the question, all right, are they just teaching me self-defense and exercise, or is there a spiritual component that is being sold here as well? And in a lot of martial arts, you end up getting a heaping helping of Eastern mysticism that uh, associates with it. It's almost like uh, going to a uh, chiropractor uh, that can, you know, adjust your joints and your muscles and so on. But if they start talking about, oh, we've got to get the key force uh, aligned, your chakras yeah. are, are out of line, and uh, this is going to really, you know, enlighten you, and you're going to look at life differently yeah. once we adjust your muscles, I'd say you've just crossed the line from physical to spiritual, yeah. the, the physical to the metaphysical, if you will. Yeah. So have to be really careful about that. Uh, there are some people that get involved with alternative medicines and uh, it kind of leads them down that path. Uh, on the other side of the coin, I don't think it has to uh, lead you down that path. Hmm. Uh, you know, again, in, uh, it, there's a really interesting scripture uh, about this, about the last days and uh, the end times. Uh, and a uh, way that false teachers are, were going to teach in the last days in the end times, it's found in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. 
For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So, you know, I, the reason I bring this passage up is this. If you're going to get involved with alternative medicine and, you know, again, Western medicine, you know, uh, can do an awful lot for you. It was Western medicine techniques that cured my cancer. So I'm uh, mm-hmm. highly in favor of all of that. I've seen, you know, people use Western medicine to, you know, inflict an awful lot of harm and, and damage on people. Uh, you know, again, uh, you know, other people that have struggled with different kinds of cancers have been given incredibly painful treatments that haven't really helped them uh, at all. And so we have to be very careful about either or both of those. But when it comes to like, uh, you know, again, uh, alternative medicine, when it comes to martial arts, when it comes to these different things, chiropractic, um, you need to ask yourself this question. Uh, am I receiving it, this treatment with Thanksgiving? And what does that mean? I'm thanking God for providing this, the true and living God for providing this, in a way, an avenue that he can use to heal. Mm. I'm focusing in on God. I'm not focusing in on the technique. I'm not focusing in on the philosophy and so on. Uh, you know, secondly, when we do that, then you know, when we get involved with some alternative treatment or things like this, uh, it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Now, what does that mean? Well, you know, first of all, if someone comes to me and says, well, I've got this alternative treatment for you for your pain, it's called fentanyl. Uh, Well, I kind of just have a headache. I don't think I really need to go there. (laughs) You know, well, okay, Uh, what does the scripture say uh, about abusing drugs? What does it say about a lack of sobriety in my life? You know, I can evaluate that based upon the word of God. The other thing I can evaluate on it is the basis of prayer. If you're in a situation where you're going to a chiropractor and he's starting to say some things or do some things and you kind of have a check in your spirit, pray about it. Pray about it. And here's what you pray for. If anyone lacks wisdom, James said, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and without reproach, and it shall be given to him. And, uh, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. Uh, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not such a person think they'll receive anything from God. So if you're considering getting involved with alternative medicine, chiropractic, martial arts, these sort of things, you know, again, you can receive these things with thanksgiving insofar as they can benefit you in a horizontal sense. Uh, But you should never, when you get involved with this, get your eyes off of God, remember to have an attitude of thanksgiving. And then secondly, make sure that if there is some practice or part of this that is contrary to the clear teaching of scripture uh and uh if if you feel still a check but you can't come up with chapter and verse pray about it never ever 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 go against your discernometer Hmm. you feel like there's something weird here there's something that's unsettling about it some people say oh well maybe i'm just being legalistic or too Hmm. harsh or something they plow right through that and they get involved with a peck of spiritual trouble yeah so yeah great anything to add to that no great thank you for that uh that question as well. Ted, um, real quick, someone was asking David, uh, I have uh, recently been hearing about Sozo, Sozo Ministries, and it's an independent healing and deliverance ministry. Is it biblical? We could probably talk about 
just deliverance ministry in general. Yeah, but. yeah. Just uh, as far as their specifics, you can't judge an entire organization as much as individuals. But if these groups and organizations associate with that kind of theology, uh, deliverance ministry, for those of you who don't know, are the kind of groups that would affirm uh, demonic oppression as opposed to possession, that there can be some demonic activity affiliated with any area of sin in your life. And then some would even, the more radical, would go so far as to say that every area of sin is the result of spiritual influence over your life. So the answer, the solution, the process of spiritual growth is 100% through exorcism. It can't be my fallen sinful nature, it's the devil that made me do it. We would say that's not biblical, not because the Bible doesn't mention a devil, but because it doesn't say that the devil's our only problem. First John chapter 2 notes that these three things are in the world. The world itself, our fallen sinful nature, the flesh, and the devil. Two times out of three, we make our own messes. And most of the time, the enemy just lets us go to our own devices and temptation. He can basically cut time in half by just letting us make our own, like I said, the point is that. First uh, John chapter 4 and verse 4 is the best thorn in the side for any debunking of deliverance ministry, greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. We know that he is in the world, that is the enemy, the one who is in us is the Holy Spirit. God's not working out a condo deal in your heart between a spiritual entity and the Holy Spirit. If a group comes to you and says, we got to cast that demon out of you, or you've been demonized, run, don't walk out of there, even if they promise it'll cure your cancer, because also noting probably won't. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah. Well, there we go. <laughs> I would agree also. Yeah, so we're at the end of the show today. Thank you for your questions today. Thank you for joining us. We will be back same time, same place tomorrow. Hope to see you then as well. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Sean. See you guys tomorrow. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> you are welcome. Have a wonderful evening. God bless you guys. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word. One question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.